to another episode of the DBR Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Evan, and we are excited to continue with the Gospel of Luke this week. Pastor Hayden will be doing the Compass Equip and Life Group Leader podcast with Pastor Mike, and it is my honor and pleasure to be able to continue the DBR plan with you as a church as we talk about the New Testament and this week's we are going to be reading out of the Gospel of Luke. Now, last week we didn't record, so I like to do a very brief, maybe one to three minute opportunity to go through what we just read as a church from Luke 12 to 15, because it, it's going to tie into this week's podcast. Essentially, what Luke 12 to 15, and, and it kind of bleeds into seven, uh, Luke 17 and part of 18, is Jesus is revealing the heart of his true followers, revealing the heart of people who say they follow God, but they don't. Now, we see this in a couple of moments with the leaven of the Pharisees of Luke chapter 12, the first 12 uh, verses. Essentially, Jesus' point is, don't fear man, but fear God. The Pharisees thought they feared God. In reality, they feared one another and really feared what they thought versus what God thought. And then we went to the parable in Luke 12, 13 to 34 about the rich fool and not to be anxious, but instead to trust in the Lord and his kingdom. And then in chapter 13, uh, one of the th- things to note was that this is the repent and perish in the healing of the woman who had the disabling spirit on the Sabbath. Essentially, one of the main points of Luke 13, that first part of it, is don't think that you're better than everyone else. Everyone falls short and everyone needs to repent. And then Jesus reveals how wicked people are because they refuse to help a woman on the Sabbath. And he's like, what's wrong with you? You should do good. It is restful to do good on the Sabbath when we're loving one another. And then Luke uh, 13 wraps up with the parable of the narrow door, essentially don't assume salvation based on familial relationships. Just for them, they thought that salvation came because they were a part of Abraham's family, and we shouldn't think we're saved just because our parents are Christians, our grandparents are Christians. No, we are only saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ as individuals. All right, and then jump into Luke 14 very quickly. We see in Luke 14, the first 24 verses, Jesus, uh, Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath and the parable, the wedding feast and great wedding feast and great banquet. Really, the point of those are is that the heart is revealed through action. How do you know if you want to be with God? And that's what the parables explain there. And then they have the cost of discipleship, again, revealing the heart. And then Luke 15, it's kind of everything in there. You have the three parables. Now, we focus on the last one, but know that all three parables in Luke chapter 15, you have the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. And really, the parable, the last one is the parable of the two sons. That's what the title should be, where the parables are all moving towards the crescendo of the the parable of the two sons, the one that went off and did his thing and the older brother that stayed there. And um, when we'll get there in just a moment, but notice that is, you know, God cares about the one out of a hundred and then it was one out of 10 and then it's one out of two. What Jesus is doing is because Jesus is addressing some people who are upset that Jesus is associating with sinners 
And so using sheep and then money and then eventually people, obviously the value of things is increasing in terms of the heart uh, of man. Jesus is revealing to the listener and for us as the reader, where is your heart when the lost are found, when the grace is applied on those who are lost? And he really shows who are the lost. You know, we are all lost. The Bible makes that clear. We all fall short of the glory of God, and we, like the prodigal son, this is what we look like. We squander everything that God has given us, our, our lives, and, and everything, that, the good things, the money, the property that he gives us is supposed to lead us to repentance and trust in him, but instead we use it for our own gain. And so when grace is applied to that from the father in the, the parable, the older brother is upset. And really the question that needs to be answered and that Jesus is proposing to us as the reader and for that and to the original audience is how, what is your reaction to when grace is applied to someone who's an enemy of God? When he applies grace, they become a child of God. And so it's this kind of heart where, as many of you know, we were burglarized as a church about two months ago by a gentleman who came in and, and came in and stole some items. And recently, it turns out he robbed other places and burglarized other places near us, and he got himself arrested. Now, the heart that Jesus wants us to have is to go, great, he, he's, a, he's arrested, you know, praise the Lord that he's no longer hindering us and harming us and, and our neighbors around us. But the heart is, what if God shows grace in the sense of God draws this person, this you know, burglar, to repentance and faith? Are we willing as a church to say, no, you are now a child of God. And as you serve your social consequences, are you, are we willing to say, Hey, yeah, you served your social consequences facing prison time for what you stole. Do we, but do we have a heart that says, I want to see this person saved and this person gets saved. They're a part of my family because they're part of God's family. If this person repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ. So that's how we see how uh, the, see our heart, if, how do we react to grace applied to God's enemy? Now, let's go to this week. We have Luke chapter 16 to 18, and there's a whole lot there. And as a reminder, as we jump into Luke 16, so you can pull out your Bibles. I got my Luke Bible right here and also on my, my laptop. If we pull up to Luke chapter 16 and check that out, got my handy dandy bookmark is that this is the same scene all the way back in Luke 14. You know, Jesus having dinner with some Pharisees, and then the crowds are growing around him. And so this is a kind of the same train of thought that Luke has you know, or put in an orderly account. And it kind of culminates in verse uh, chapter 15, verses 31 to 32, where Jesus talks about the parable of the lost son. Again, addressing the grace that has been applied to those who are God's enemies, the father's enemies. And so right off the bat, verse one of Luke 16 is so he also said to his disciples. And so this is where the context comes in. Now we have someone who had a grace applied to them. He's there to reach sinners and the lost. So now he turns to the disciples and gives the most complicated parable of all parables, the parable of the dishonest manager. And this is a hard one to, to disciple and to, to discern and to interpret. But essentially what he's doing, he's comparing how someone was shrewd with their their finances to to gain and he 
compliments them. And what Jesus is saying, he's complimenting, say, we need to use our wits and our smarts and everything that we have to further God's kingdom, not in nefarious ways like the dishonest manager, but the dishonest manager is putting everything that he has to make more money and to cover his bases. So we need to give everything that we have to further God's kingdom by making disciples of Jesus Christ and making sure all the logistics of that happen. And so it's using your money and resources for God and not yourself. And so that's kind of a a simple summation of Luke 16. And so then right after that, in verse 19 to 31, we have the rich man and Lazarus. Now, Jumping uh, across, we see you know be the Pharisees in verse fourteen of Luke sixteen. They are lovers of money, hence address being addressed. They don't like people having grace, and they love their money. And so Jesus shares the parable of the lost sheep, coin, and sons, and then all, then challenges them. Hey, you need to use your money for God's kingdom, not yourself. Well, they are lovers of money, and they heard it and they're upset, and so they begin to ridicule them. And so Jesus calls them out. And then he gives a parable that actually Pastor Mike Fabares, uh, uh, our uh, sending pastor from Compass Bible Church in Elisa Viejo, California, preached on this Sunday morning. So in order to understand the first few verses, I refer you back to Sunday's message and the Compass Equip podcast. But essentially... What the, the point that is being drawn here is which life do we consider good? The Pharisees thought the life, or many people, the not just the Pharisees, thought the good life is the material life. When God's saying, no, 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 the good life is the eternal life to come, regardless of your circumstances. So I refer you back to Luke 17, verses 19 to 31, to Sunday's message. So then we go down to Luke 17. So this is where... Uh, things are wrapping up. So in Luke 14, chapter uh, verse 1, through Luke 17, verse 10 is kind of like this culminating thought co- uh, coming to a close. And so Jesus ends this closing in verses 7 to 10. We talked about the unworthy servants and talking about how you don't hire servants for them to then, after they do the hard labor, for them to come and say, hey, master, can you like, you know, you don't invite them to recline at your table. No, you say, hey, uh, freshen up and then serve me some more. And the point of it is in verse 10. So verse 10 says, so you also, when you have done all that you're commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what is our duty. And Jesus is now some curmudgeon who's saying, you're just going to work and get no reward. No other scripture says, no, I will repay you for what you have done. And I want to bless you for working and serving me. The point is that the Pharisees and the, and the people at Jesus's time, and even today, they serve because they want God to bless them. Now, that's not necessarily bad, but this is where it turns nefarious. They want to manipulate God, and we can find ourselves wanting to manipulate God so we can get some extra blessing in this life and have God serve me as I served him. That's not, that's not how it works. God wants to bless us, but we should be like the servants as the Pharisees should have been, and we all should be, hey, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do in your word here because I love you. And because this is my job, you are our master, you are a good master, and I'm here to serve you. So the whole uh, Luke 14 to 17 kind of ends with this idea as Jesus is conversing with, with the Pharisees, with sinners, and this great crowd is, hey, you are supposed to serve God, not trying to manipulate God to now serve you. 
No, you should serve out of love and out of duty and trust, really, that God will bless you in return, like he promised. But again, it's the next life, not this life necessarily. So then the new scene comes along. So in Luke 17, 11, you can actually... You you can actually write in your Bibles right here to say in verse 11, new scene. So 17, uh, chapter 17, verse 11, all the way to Luke 18. Now, this is where the debate goes, either in verse 34 or verse 33. This is the scene of Jesus moving. He's on the move. He's on his way to Jerusalem, as we remember back in Luke 9, 51. So right here in verse 11, now on the way to Jerusalem, this is where he's going, where the part three of Luke is going to happen. He's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now I want you to jump to Luke 18, to the very end, to verse 35. And Jesus drew near Jericho, and so and a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. The reason I want you to look at that is because this is right here is, hey, something similar. Jesus is on the move, some stuff, some teaching happens. And then Jesus is on the move and he enters, in verse 19, he enters Jericho. Why are you bringing this up? Because this is how you interpret the Bible. This is what you call a chiasm or a chiasm, depending who you ask. And what a chiasm, essentially, it's like a triangle where you have, you have a talking point here and things are going towards a point, and then the point happens, and then other details go out. And so it's like a greater or less than sign. So what a chiasm is trying to do is to help us as the reader to understand the main point. And how do you recognize a chiasm or or chiasm? It's the way that the details match at the beginning and at the end. The beginning, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem through Samaria and Galilee, and then he's going some more to Jericho. So everything in the middle is a teaching point and everything in the middle is leading to a single particular point. But let's address first in Luke 17, 11. So go back there into your Bibles where Jesus cleanses 10 lepers. People who have a disease that they have to be far off because they're unclean. And so what does, you know, what does Jesus do? He heals them. But look at the details. You know, they cried out far away because that's what they're supposed to do. And they said, Jesus, master. You know, this this Greek word is is um, is different. This is a master and Lord right here. And he said, have mercy on us. And so they begin, they realize who Jesus is. This is a, the master, capital M master, God master, to have mercy. And so then he says, go and show that yourselves to the priest, because that's what the, the Old Testament law told them to do back in Leviticus 13 to four, uh, chapters 13 and 14, to go show yourselves that you're clean so you can be brought into the family of God once again. And so... What happens is that Jesus is showing, yes, he's, he's in, over the diseases. He makes what's unclean clean. But if you notice that only one of the lepers turns around and thanks Jesus, and that's where he says, we're not 10 cleansed. Where, where are the nine? Really, the challenge is, hey, nine wanted the things of Jesus, but only one really obeyed and actually turned around and thanked God. And what saved him? His faith in Jesus is what saved him, not just from his disease, but also in salvation. He trusted in Jesus as his master. Now, let's jump to chapter 18, to the end of 18, in verse 35. Because at Jericho, again, Jesus is on location. This is the ending of the chiasm. Who is it? It's a blind beggar. So another outcast, someone who is 
you know, worthless. A person who is a leper can't work. They can't, they, they're dependent on people's charity. And so here's another person who's completely helpless, who's dependent on people's charity because he can't work. He's blind. And what does he say? Hey, Jesus, the son of David. So here's another person who recognizes who Jesus is is. So Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you in verse 41? And he says, help me to see. And what helps this man to see and really be saved is in verse 42, your faith has made you well. Is it the man's faith in itself? No, it's what his faith was on for the 10 lepers and particularly that one leper who came back. And then the blind man, they had their faith on one person alone. It was Jesus Christ. And what did this person do? He followed Jesus. And so they had two men, a leper and a blind man, and they were sa- they were healed, and really they were saved. And they, they came back to thank God, and they came to follow God, glorifying God. So there's the tail end. And essentially, with giving away the, one of the points is, here are two helpless people, outcasts, helpless, but they see and they are the ones that actually are blessed. And what we'll see in the middle and really through the Gospel of Luke, that people who think they're all right with God and because of their own self-sufficiency and their own self-worth, they're the ones who don't get it. They're the ones who are unclean and they're the ones who are blind. Therefore, the ones who are not saved. And so how do we know the person who is saved? Do I have to be a beggar? Do I have to be a leper? No. What is it? Let's jump back to... Luke 18. So there's a, uh, the answer is actually in verses 15 to 17, but let's go back to Luke 18 verse one. So, sorry, excuse me, not Luke 18, Luke, Luke 17. Pardon me. So in Luke 17, he cleanses the lepers. So what's the next thing that happens? The Pharisees asked him, hey, when is the kingdom of God coming? You are supposed to bring that because you were healing the sick. You're healing the blind. The Old Testament, Old Testament prophets predicted that the Messiah would do this. So when is the kingdom going to come? And he said, just like the days of Noah. So I refer you back to Pastor Hayden's uh, Good Friday sermon that's on our YouTube page that talks about it's going to come like this. People are going to be doing their thing. Are you going to be waiting for the Lord? Or are you just going to be pursuing the material benefits of this life? Are you going to be prepared to meet the Lord? So then it goes right into verse eight, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. So this is kind of a heavy topic and the end of chapter 17 about how God's kingdom is going to come. It's going to be judgment and wrath for, uh, like the days of Noah. And so he, he told them a parable in effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. So you hear this kind of heavy language of 17 verse one of 18 saying, Hey, I'm going to tell you something so that you don't lose heart, that you don't forget that those who are righteous, those who are righteous, are the ones who depend on God, they will be saved from God's judgment. And so he, he gives them an encouragement to say, Hey, the will of God is to give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night. So people like the 10 lepers and the blind people, those who cry out to God for help because they're helpless are the ones who will be justified before God. So then in verse nine of Luke 18, to kind of paint the picture, who is Jesus? How do we, how are we saved? Luke nine two. 14, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, the Pharisee and tax collector. So someone who is socially exalted, someone who's socially hated, and the one that's hated actually is the one that is going to be righteous. Is it because everyone who's hated by 
the, this part of you know these people are going to be saved. No, it's because the Pharisee went up and you know was talking about I fast twice a week, I give tithes to all I get, and he looked at the tax collector and said, "I'm so glad I'm not like this person. Look at all that I've done. I'm so self sufficient, God. Look at my self worth. You are so good, and I am so good, and I can't wait to be with you." But the tax collector's far off, and he's looking down and he's beating his chest. And I love what it says in verse thirteen. He couldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. And he said, God be merciful to me, merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus reveals the 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 plot twist. It's not the Pharisee who is righteous, it's this wicked tax collector. He said, I tell you that the man who went down his house, only one man went justified. For everyone who exalts exalts himself, who's self-sufficient, will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so who are the ones that are actually going to be righteous? The ones who are going to be in the kingdom of God that don't have to worry about the judgment of God. Those who are humble. And now this is where the chiasm is at its point. Right here in verses 7, 15 to 17. The point of this section of Luke in this scene is leading right here. And the title is, let the children come to me. So people were bringing their infants and children to Jesus so that he can touch them. And the disciples saw it. They rebuked them. They didn't get it. And Jesus called them saying, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. And here's the point. Verse 17, highlight, underline this, make a note next to it. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Compass. There is the point right here in this scene from Luke 17 to 18. The point is if you and I do not receive the kingdom like a child, who is completely dependent on their parents for food, for clothing, and really survival for life, we will not enter heaven into God's eternal reign. We won't because we will be relying on ourselves, but the gospel is clear. Those who do not rely on themselves, but completely on the work of Jesus Christ, God himself, are the ones who will be saved. And as a reaction, they're going to forsake or repent from their lives and turn to Jesus Christ for his life and death and resurrection to cover their sins so that they can have forgiveness. And this is illustrated next in the rich Ruler of Pastor Hayden actually preached on himself. So I refer you back to that sermon on, on Luke 18, where a ruler comes and hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, essentially, to obey the Ten Commandments. And this person, this is where it's illustrated. All these things in verse 21 of Luke 18, I have kept from my youth. So here's someone who thinks they get it. They have done it. They have achieved it. And Jesus nails it on the head right here in verse 22. He says, one thing you still lack, see all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Jesus is saying, give up your life and follow me. And what does he, what did the rich, uh, this rich ruler say? No, he became very sad because he's extremely rich. And so how do you receive the kingdom? Well, you have to give up your life, including if it's your wealth, your friends, your family, you have to give everything up to follow Jesus Christ to be saved. And so that's what the point of that as Jesus then illustrates to come to him like a child does. And for a child, we, uh, as parents, we teach our children how to understand. And this is what verse 31 to 34 is referring to. He talks about the prediction. He will go to Jerusalem. He'll be killed. And on the third day, he will rise. 
But verse 34, they didn't understand any of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. Now, this is important because they need God to help them understand, just like us. We need God to understand his word, to understand what it means to repent, what it means to trust. We need God to do that. And how to prove that, if you go to the end of Luke in chapter 24, in verse in verses uh you know, 44 to 45. Let's read it together. Because right now, verse 34 of Luke 18, they didn't understand. They needed God to reveal it to them. And that's what happens. They needed childlike faith and they did have it. And in Luke 24, it, it says this in verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Here it is, verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In verse 46, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Verse 47, and that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his names to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Why did I bring this up? Well, because here's the word they understand. How do they understand it? When God opened their mind. So, Compass, this is what it looks like to have a childlike faith, that we turn to God to open our minds and our hearts to understand his word and to live it out, to have a childlike faith so that we can have our sins forgiven. And so I pray as we wrap up you know, this week of the daily Bible reading, that this spotlight was helpful for you to better understand what God is doing in these three chapters to point to tell you that you need to have childlike faith in order to be saved. Compass, we're so excited, and we will see you next week in the next episode of the DBR Spotlight. <laughs>